Welcome to the One in Five of Us Changing the Mental Health Landscape podcast. We are working to stop the stigma and start the conversation about mental health. One in five people will experience a mental health condition, but it takes on average eight to 10 years for someone to seek treatment. Hi, I'm Nancy Miller, the founder and executive director of One in Five, and I'm thrilled to host this podcast to help educate our community around mental health and wellness and to empower you to start the conversation. And I'm Kayla Wood, the social media specialist at One in Five. Together, we can stop the stigma and start the conversation. You belong here. We belong together. So next up, we are talking with Alana, program manager at MindPeace, who oversees the MindPeace rooms at various Cincinnati schools. For those that have not heard of MindPeace, They work with schools to identify the unique mental health needs of their population and to select community partners to provide quality, affordable, accessible, integrated, and aligned school-based therapy services for students in need. MindPeace rooms are used to help with de-escalation and provide a social-emotional learning environment where students can learn to self-regulate their bodies and emotions. Alana, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Okay, before we jump into the calming space, um, can you just tell us a little bit about your background and uh, what led you to working for MindPeace? Sure. Um, So I um, originally went to school um, for a degree in communications and psychology. So I think um, psychology has always been an interesting um, thing for me to understand and and how the the human brain really works. So I've always been fascinated by that. I've worked in several nonprofits. I've worked for um, the Muscular Dystrophy Association. I worked for um, the Jewish Information Network. I worked for a um, home care provider called Comfort Keepers. So I've done a lot of work just on the, I've always, I say I've worked in the uh, social work field, but I'm not a social worker. So that's a lot of what I've done. Um, Most recently, um, before taking on the role in my piece, I was a a patient advocate at Children's Hospital. And um, that actually led me to going back to school to get my master's degree in public health. So what I was finding is that a lot of people based on how they were raised or their culture or what part of the world they lived in really affected their health care. And that just became um, such an interesting topic to me that but prior to that, I'd never even wanted, I never thought about getting my master's degree or if I did, I never knew what I wanted to go into. So there was kind of a light bulb that went off and I said, we, we've got to, you know, have everyone access health care. Um, you know, not only mental health care, physical health care, any kind of health care, um, but regardless of what culture they have or what their background is. So um, I went back to school and, and got my master's degree in public health. And I've been um, working at MindPeace for the last five years. Um, my role really there is doing a lot of program management things. I, you know, work on their website. I do a lot of analytical um reporting, um, any kind of projects that come up. I've done a lot of suicide prevention, postvention efforts. And then um, kind of what led to the Mind Peace Rooms was um, our executive director, Susan Shelton, um, was doing a lot of partnership visits at, um, at schools. And part of that role is to understand the needs and the mental health needs of the students at the school. 
Um, and she was finding that she was getting similar requests. And those requests were, what do I do with students that just need emotional regulation? Where is there a space for them to go to be able to get that and learn strategies? And there wasn't a place. So probably about four years ago, we trialed and piloted some of these rooms. And that program has really grown. And now we're about at about 18 schools that have Mind Peace rooms in place. And we've learned a lot over those last four years. Alana, when you when you're um, setting up the mind peace room, can you just tell us the basic um, elements of a mind peace room and what that would look like for a student that was going in there? That's a complex question. Um, and the reason is, is because these rooms are somewhat tailored to the school and what the school can provide um, and what they're able to accommodate and what and what their goals are for the mind peace room. For some schools, these rooms are for select students that maybe have pre-qualified based on their needs. Um, for some schools, it's open to all students at any time. Um, so it really varies. However, the main components of the Mind Peace rooms are really all the same. So how students get there may, might look a little different or what um, who's managing that space might look a little bit different. But when a student goes into the space, we expect for them to be in their room 20 minutes or less. Um, depending on what's going on with the student, they may be in there a little bit more, a little bit less. Um, and the student takes time to de-stress or uh, you know, calm down. The important thing in, in the distinction between these rooms and what you might hear about are like chill spaces or calm down spaces is that students are not only de-stressing, they're learning coping strategies, they're learning self-regulation strategies, and how um, they can make changes to um, their reactions and their behaviors and um, even their thought process so that they um, maybe can handle situations um, differently than they had been previously. So it's a learning space, it's a social emotional learning space for them to learn skills, not just to uh, de-escalate like a lot of these spaces you'll see are. So they're kind of learning these skills. Um, they're learning how their body reacts to situations. They're learning how their mind and their thoughts react to situations. And they're learning how to take control of those emotions and what to do when they feel that way. So that's really kind of the meat and the bones of the, of the um, room. It's not just about de-escalating. And can you talk a little bit about what um, you guys have done a great job of going virtual with the rooms? Um, maybe um, point us to if somebody is interested today in trying to um, help their child who's at home feeling some stress under this pandemic, um, where should they go? Where can they find some of those resources? Great, thank you. Um, so our main website is mindpeacecincinnati.com. And then on our, on our website, it's under, um, on the left-hand column, it's called Mind Peace Rooms. The link directly is mindpeacecincinnati.com slash virtual dash mindpeace dash rooms. And there are actual actually three different rooms. There's an early childhood room, which serves children kindergarten through second grade. There's an elementary slash middle school room that serves ages three through sixth grade, um, sorry, third through sixth grade. 
and there's a junior high and high school room for ages 7th through 12th grade. And um, on our website, you can, you'll click the enter button. They, there's three different doors, um, virtual doors for you to enter in. And there is um, different activities that are similar to what you would see in an actual mind piece room. So we kind of took what tools and resources we use physically and um, made those tools available virtually. So a lot of the, the tools are gonna lead you to other sites or to videos on YouTube. So we didn't recreate any tools necessarily, but we used what was already out there. So each um, room has a set of just calming activities, things that can um, bring your blood pressure down and help you relax your mind and body. There's a set of mindfulness. Um, so for the younger kids, um, all the way up into the older kids, it's teaching you different mindfulness exercises, such as like deep breathing or guided imagery. Then you have some body movement items. Um, so it's just to get your left and right brain working. Um, that's a stress reduction technique. Um, it's just movement. So there's different movement um, videos or even images that can show you what to do um, just to, again, get your heart rate up. And then there's refocusing strategies. Um, so we use these techniques a lot. I, I kind of call them sometimes distraction techniques. So if you're, um, you have a student that is really having difficulty um, getting something off their mind that's bothering them, you might try one of these techniques um, just to kind of divert their attention elsewhere so that when they're ready to talk about it and process what maybe happened, that they're in a place that they're able to do that. So those are those refocusing techniques. And then um, we also have understanding your feelings. So these are different ways that you can recognize how your mind and body feels. So as you came into your virtual room, how, what were you feeling? Ways to identify that. And putting a name to your feelings is really important because then you can begin to tackle it. Sometimes in the moment, it's hard to even understand how you're feeling. So that can be, you know, just understanding that in itself is, is a huge step in the right direction. Especially for those little kids, a lot of times they don't have a way of expressing um, what they're feeling. And this gives them the words to be able to do so and gives them that power too to take back so that they can um, reach out to an adult and say, this is how I'm feeling. And so that adult can then process what they said and know how to help them versus them dealing with um, maybe a tantrum or a behavior. So um, by expressing those, they begin to take control of their emotions. Great, you've been very thorough in all of your different applications that are available. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and actually, so when you were talking about the kind of the tools that you're using in the different rooms and the spaces and stuff like that, um, I know you said that you're pulling from other resources and things that already work, but um, putting them all together in these mind piece rooms is really kind of like a new innovative thing that other people haven't done. So can you talk a little bit about like the research behind all this and how, how they came to be? Um, yeah. So I think when, um, again, when our executive director said there was this need, 
I wasn't an expert um, at that time. I'm not even, you know, a therapist. So I was like, where do we even start? So what we did is we did do some research around um, different calming spaces that have, um, that there is research on. Unfortunately, there's just not a lot out there. I think it is a relatively new concept. So there isn't much research out there. So in some cases, um, we have documented what, what they've found. Um, but a lot of times we were just documenting and researching different approaches. So as I mentioned, there's that body movement part. Well, we know from research that exercises does reduce stress. So it's sometimes pulling a def um, together different components of the room. Um, and that's certainly something we can probably share with you. I'd have to ask Susan about that. Um, but there is some research behind it. And a lot of it, um, this is again, going in our fourth year, it's been trial and error. And it's also been working with our partners um, very closely. Um, our schools that have implemented this have been wonderful because they're sharing everything that's working and not working with us. And that's, I, you know, I'd rather hear what's not working so that we can get better than them just tell me, oh, everything's great because it, it, it isn't. And there are certain times where I'm like, I don't know what the answer is. So let's figure this out together. So, um, so some of that research has just been, like I said, that trial and error and seeing what works um, and um, that feedback. We, um, we meet with the schools very regularly to make sure it's working and, and kind of address any barriers as they come up. Tell us a little bit about the research that you've done and what that looks like. What are the results that are coming back? Okay. Um, so some of the outcomes, I guess, of, of our data that we've been capturing. Um, Overall, the median time that students are spending in the room is 19 minutes. Um, high school students uh, tend to spend a little bit longer than elementary students. Um, what we found also is that our rooms are really good at that de-escalation piece that I talked about. Students are coming in. Um, a little over 67% of students enter the room at an escalation of a three, four, or five on a one, zero through five intensity scale, five being the highest. So they're coming in on that really, um, that high end, that three through five, and they're 60, almost 66% are leaving at a zero, one, or two. So you're kind of seeing an exact flip of their intensity of their emotion scale. So that is something we're doing really well. I think one of the things that we're doing well is is also tracking students. So, um, you know, I think disciplinary data is at schools is uh, oftentimes collected, but this, this really isn't disciplinary. Um, it's also not a um, developmental, um, like a, what are they called? Like um, a developmental metric. Yeah, so so kind of, uh, I went to this training one time and they said there's this, there's a trauma-informed model. Well, trauma-informed follows its kind of own pathway. It's not, um, it's not the developmental disability. It's not the disability track. It's not the um, discipline track. It's kind of its own focus. So what are we doing with the kids that don't need to be disciplined? They, you know, they might um, just have trouble sitting still or focusing. They're um, maybe not, don't have a disability either. So this gives them another outlet for them to get their needs met. So this 
by us tracking the data, we're able to see those students that need those, um, those additional skills and those additional tools. Sometimes it can also lead to getting a more um, standardized approach to getting the students' needs met. So when we have the proof that a child has been visiting the room once a week for the last two months, we know that something greater is going on and that student does need some additional um, services made available to them. So it's kind of uh, gives them um, the record or the proof to what maybe a teacher has already seen in the classroom. So it's another record source, um, again, to get those students' needs met. Um, so that's part of why we look at those data um, quite frequently, just to make sure no kids are falling through the cracks. And this is just another way to do so. I think it's I think it's uh, it's great that you're uh, this is a uh, it's more in the social emotional learning arena. I think where you're looking at what are some of the the key indicators of something that's going on outside of the academic model that's impacting this child and how do you, what, what kind of resources can we give them to, to help them? Yeah. Well, and I think one thing I didn't mention is um, that that makes me think that some schools, this is their identified safe place. Mm -hmm. So um, it's a way for them to know that they're going to be safe here. They know that there's a safe and trusted adult that they can talk to should they need to. Now, it's not a place for them to receive counseling services or therapy um, or even to be counseled um, like one-on-one, -on -one, but it is a place for them to say, hey, I'm hungry. I'm not getting my needs met at home. Is that the I mean, sometimes they'll we'll want them to, in most cases, go to the guidance office, but, but it's an identified place that they can go um, and say those things. It's an additional place. What I found is one school um, that we work with has a really transient population. So they have new students there quite often. And the new students haven't obviously built a um, trusted relationship with any adults in the school. So when they came to the Mind Peace Room, they um, were able to disclose some important information to the adults in that room because they knew that was the safe spot. They didn't know where the counselor's office was or even the guidance counselor, but they did know where the Mind Peace Room was and they knew that that's their safe spot. That's awesome that, that um, you've created that space for those kids that they do have that safety zone that they know that they can go there when they're feeling escalated and, and get mm -hmm. what they need. Yeah, absolutely. Um, actually, that kind of that whole conversation made me wonder: How do you select the schools that um, you start building the rooms in? So um, they select us. <laughs> oh. um, so um, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. The school. I mean, it it is time consuming. They have to rethink processes. They have to designate staff are going to manage the room and manage um, the children that are coming into the room. So the school has to be ready for it. Um, you know, it, it comes from administration down. Um, so usually it's the principal um, or in, in some cases, you know, that the person in charge of student services um, would approach us and see uh, and, and have that initial discussion. So um, we don't really seek them out. Um, you know, we've actually went from four schools to 18 schools this last year. Um, and we're looking at systematically how we can continue 
to grow these realms. Um, but, you know, I'm only one person. I have wonderful interns. We're still working on different processes and putting those in place so that we can continue to help the schools grow that um, without as much involvement on my end. Um, so we're working on making uh, more systematic improvements to allow that to happen. Um, but ultimately, to answer your question, it comes from the school. They have to want it and they have to be willing to invest the time and energy into it. That's awesome. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about what MindPiece is doing to combat the misuse of the rooms by students who might want to skip class or get out of tests or something like that? Sure. Um, well, I think that's a great question. And part of what we do is when we launch these rooms is I um, go over the uh, protocol of how the room works within the school with the teachers. So I welcome their negative feedback. I want to hear it because then we can talk about it because if that's how they're feeling, that's important and that's how they're going to act. So I'd rather them tell me and let's talk about it um, and, and see what we can do to work together so that that is not the case. Um, and certainly there is, especially in the high school, there's some abuse of it. But what's important is that if you're keeping the data, the, the kids are signing in and out, which someone should be monitoring to make sure it happens, you're seeing which kids are abusing that then. And that leads to a greater question. So I notice every Tuesday at 12 o'clock, you are coming into the mind piece room. What's going on on Tuesdays at 12 o'clock that you feel you need to use the mind piece room? And it leads to a greater conversation. Um, in some cases, we found that students were coming in Monday mornings very um, agitated, and it was just from, you know, maybe parents are getting a divorce, and one weekend they'd be at mom's house, the next weekend they'd be at dad's house, and just um, that inconsistency really set them off Monday morning when they would come to school. So every Monday morning, they would have 10 minutes set aside that they would know they'd come to that mind peace room. That gave them that consistency that they needed and a scheduled time for them to just de-escalate, process what happened for the weekend, learn some strategies or practice those strategies, and get back to academics. Ultimately, our goal is the same as any teachers. We want the child engaged in academics. And by having this space, it actually protects the um, teacher's time a little bit more. So whereas maybe a student might have um, some behavioral challenges and um, be sent to the principal's office. Well, a principal's in a meeting, so they need to wait 30 minutes. Well, then something else more emergent came up, so now they're waiting another 30 minutes. So maybe an hour or two goes by that the student is missing academics, whereas they could have just been sent to the mind piece room for 20 minutes, got their needs met, learned their skills. Maybe they still have a consequence to what happened. Um, it's not an excuse for them not to receive consequences, but it's a, a place for them to be able to be able to hear those consequences, relax. A lot of times what you found is that students get more escalated by having to wait around to talk to the principal or just the thought of having to talk to, you know, the head of the school is anxiety provoking. So them having that space, maybe they can accept what behaviors they, they did. Maybe they can apologize and they can learn skills so that that doesn't happen again. Um, but certainly we wanna make sure that this isn't an abuse uh, situation. So that's why the person that manages the space is so important too. They could, um, in some cases they say, I don't think you need to be here right now. Um, so I want you to go back to class. And if you really need to come back, you come back during your study hall, not during math time. We don't want you missing your core academics. 
where you might not be doing so well. And that could be, um, a lot of times we see it as a work avoidance tactic. And so that's important to know too. Are you avoiding math because you're struggling? What services can we provide to you to get your math scores up? What are you not understanding with, with math that you need um, additional help in um, that's leading to this avoidance? So really it kind of helps um, shed a spotlight on the issues that the student might be experiencing. So that's, a I you know, it's almost like a good thing that students might be, um, abusing it because then we can understand them better. It, uh, it puts them in a situation where you can ask different questions than you can ask in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Which is really good. And then when it, it gets an outlet a lot of times for another um, adult to get their eyes on that student at that moment too. Mm -hmm. So as these rooms have expanded and as you guys have looked at some of the data you're looking at, have you seen any decreases in disciplinary actions as you've seen an increase in use of the mind piece rooms? Yeah, um, we have. So we don't um, keep, obviously, you know, the school has their own methods for keeping the data on discipline. So we don't have that data. However, one of our elementary schools, um, this is a great example. He said, he had a student that was on track to be expelled. He had 25 office referrals, the student did. So he was coming, he was, he was not doing well in the school environment. Well, they put in place the Mind Peace Room and they actually scheduled the student in quite a bit, more than I've ever seen before, but three times a day, the student came to the Mind Peace Room. Wow. Um, for maybe 15 minutes at a time. So if you look at that, that's 45 minutes out of the school day that that student was coming to the Mind Peace Room. Well, after um, two months of the Mind Peace Room being in place, uh, or maybe it's three months, um, but several months of the Mind Peace Room being in place, he only had, I think, three to five um, office referrals, and he was no longer on the route to being expelled. So they had, that child had learned different skills that they needed. He was getting the breaks he needed um, to be able to get his needs met. And again, you know, while, even though he was maybe missing 45 minutes of, I don't even think they were doing it during ac core academic time, but you know, 45 minutes of his all-inclusive school, um, he had what six, you know, five, six hours of protected school time. So that's what I look at, you know, versus being expelled and not having any school time. So um, that's a really positive story that I've heard. And what's interesting too is as that child is learning those skills, learning how to regulate his body um, and his mind, he, um, they were looking at cutting back some of those times. So then he would go down to, I think they were first looking at shortening it to maybe instead of 15 minutes, he was getting 10 minute breaks. And then the next route was taking away one of those break times. So the, and I said, well, is there anything else you, you put into place? It was like, no, not really. That just the mind piece room. And I was like, okay. <laughs> awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Exactly. Um, that makes me think of one more question. Do you provide training to the monitors before they're in there? Yeah. So we provide training to uh, the professionals that monitor the space. And again, that, that really varies on what their um, education level is by school. A lot of schools, this is paraprofessionals. Um, other schools, it's part of their social services team. It could be psychologists, guidance counselors, social workers. Um, that help monitor the space. And really, it's not just monitoring, it's also kind of ensuring that students follow the process 
and the guidelines in that space. Um, so we provide training to allow them um, to understand how all the tools are being used and to understand the process um, and data management for the, uh, for the MindPiece room. So how many students are allowed in the MindPiece rooms at a time? Yeah, that's a really good question. So what you'll find is that um, these MindPiece rooms are in all different sizes of rooms. In some cases, it's a glorified closet, right? <laughs> you know, it, it formerly was the janitor's closet. They, they cleaned it up. They put on a fresh coat of paint. We put a carpet in there and all our tools, but it's a small space. So in those small spaces, it really depends on um, you know, it might have a max out of three people, but I never really put parameters on X number of people because it, it depends on the students in the space. If you have a, a student that is really having an emotional, um, like breakdown at that time, it may not be acceptable to have any other students in that space. Um, and if a student is, you know, used to the space, they're doing, um, following the process, they're doing what needs to be done in that space. Maybe um, having another student may be great, actually. They could help teach that student what works for them. They could work together. They could build a relationship. Um, or maybe they just work on their own things separately and they're quiet and respectful of each other's time. So it could be that, you know, there's several people in that space if they know how to act appropriately. Some of the rooms are the size of large classrooms. Um, so it really just depends on a few different factors. Um, again, how the size of the space, who's monitoring the space, if there's several, you know, if they have several adults that are able to monitor the space, it might be more. Um, and how the students are acting while in that space as well. Well, Alana, thank you for being with us today. MindPiece is doing great work with these uh, calming spaces. I know that uh, I, when I work in the schools, everybody loves the space. Mm -hmm. Um, and we, uh, we look forward to hearing uh, more information and, and sharing those resources out with people in the future. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about this episode, you can check out our show notes and access additional information on our website at 1n5.org. We ask that you please subscribe, rate, write a review, or share this podcast with anyone you think may be interested in hearing more about how we're changing the mental health landscape. Again, I'm Nancy. And I'm Kayla. And we hope you'll join us next time as we begin our conversation on adverse childhood experiences, otherwise known as ACEs. We will talk with Dr. Robert Shapiro, director of the child abuse team at the Meyerson Center for Safe and Healthy Children. We'll discuss what ACEs are, what we can do to help people who experience ACEs, and how to interrupt potential negative outcomes. See you then. You belong.